Lord, as you take a seat, I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus Christ, you are the lion of Judah, and you are the lamb that was slain. We bow before you. We honor you. We worship you. We magnify your name. We glorify you as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I pray that this morning now as we open up Daniel 6, that you, the lion and the lamb, that you will speak to us, show us yourself, encourage us, show us how you have fought our battles, that you have won the war, and that in you and you alone are we victorious. And so we come to you. Speak to us, we pray. In your name. Amen. Right, if you've got your, uh, if you've got your Bible, uh, open up to Daniel chapter 6. And I'm going to try and get my uh, clicker going. And there's a title for you, Hungry Lions. Hungry Lions from Daniel chapter 6. Now, as we come to Daniel chapter 6, there... Hello. Click in networking. All right, there we go. As we, um, as we come to Daniel chapter 6, one of the challenges that we face is the challenge of familiarity, right? I mean, we, we know Daniel chapter 6. We've studied chapter 6. We know it's about Daniel in the lion's den and all of that. And, and it seems to be very, very similar, almost a repeat of Daniel chapter 3 when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into the fiery furnace. And you'll notice if you compare the two, Daniel 3, Daniel 6, there are significant similarities, but there are also significant differences, nuances that we need to pick up on. Challenge. I hope that you know that Daniel was a real person. And I hope that you know that he was, in a, was thrown into a real pit with real hungry lions. History tells us that the Persians would actually starve lions almost to death so that when people were thrown into the pit, they would be instantly devoured. One person I was reading about said this, Daniel wasn't eaten because the lions weren't hungry. You've heard of Hungry Jacks, right? You've heard of Hungry Jacks? You're getting hungry. This is Hungry Lions. But here's another challenge. It's very tempting to come to, to Daniel chapter 6 and make it all about us. That we first go and say, that is about us. So in other words, we come to Daniel and we say, well, dare to be like a Daniel. Or we should be like Daniel. So you come to the story. And you go, well, Daniel was a man, what, of, full of integrity. Look at verse 4. There was no corruption in him. There was no negligence in him. No fault could be found in him. And we could instantly say, well, we should be like Daniel, right? We should be men and women of integrity. Or you could look at the story, go down to verse 10, and it says that when Daniel heard the edict, what did he go and do? What did he go and do in verse 10? I'm just making sure you're all awake and there with me. What did he go and do? He went and prayed. You see, he prayed. And how many times did he pray? Wow, three times a day. So maybe is we should be like Daniel. We should be, we should be prayers, and maybe we should pray three times a day, and so we could go on. Now, it's not to say that we can't learn from Daniel in these ways. We should be men and women of integrity. We should be men and women of prayer. But two things. Number one, Jesus said that the story was about who? Who did Jesus say the story of Daniel in the den is about? 
about himself. Okay, so firstly, Daniel 6 is about Jesus. And then when we go to Hebrews 11, which I'll show you later, where the story of Daniel is mentioned, Daniel is not held up as a character of integrity or an example of a man of prayer. He is held up as something, but we'll have to see what that is. You with me? All right, so here we go. Here is heading number one, the glory, the glory. You got your Bible, look at verse one. Daniel has risen to the summit of the Persian Empire. Daniel has been appointed as one of the three administrators who will oversee the 120 satraps and prefects and administrators who will rule over the kingdom of Persia. But I want you to look at verse 3, and that's from the New American Standard because it's a great translation. Then this Daniel began distinguishing himself among the commissioners and satraps because he possessed an extraordinary spirit and the king intended to appoint him over the entire kingdom. So notice that Daniel is a man on whom there is the Spirit of God. Verse 4, and we know that he is trustworthy. We know there's no fault in him. We know there's no negligence in him. There's no corruption in him. He's, he's, he's trustworthy. So what Darius intends to do, he intends to appoint Daniel as a man who is godly, on whom there is an extraordinary spirit, Darius intends to appoint Daniel as ruler over the empire. Right? You with me? That's what he intends to do. But now you go to the end of the story, and we see if that actually happens. So in verse 28, it says, So Daniel, this is at the end of the story, So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Darius intends to appoint Daniel as ruler. And does he do it? Does he do it? He does. But you see, the story points to a wiser person, a more godly man, on whom the fullness of the Spirit rests. And when Isaiah was talking about that person and that servant of the Lord, he put it like this in Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, not Daniel. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might, the Spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. Then you go back into Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, and Daniel says, in, in a vision at night, I saw one like the Son of Man, and he was coming with the clouds of heaven, and he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All the nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. It will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that would never be destroyed. But then suddenly, as you come into the New Testament, it says this. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened and he saw what? He saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And we know the end of the story, don't we? So if you go to the end of the story in Philippians chapter 2, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of the Father. Darius intended to put Daniel on the throne of Persia. A picture that God the Father intended to put his spirit-filled son on the throne of? On the throne of the universe. On the throne of heaven. But before the glory of the Son to the throne of heaven, there comes the betrayal. Before the glory, there is the betrayal. Back into Daniel, there's 120 satraps, Persians officials, verse 1, and they're going to be under the authority of Daniel. And so out of envy and jealousy, what they do is they concoct a plan. They come up with some sort of scheme where they're going to oust Daniel, get him out of the way. And you'll notice again, verse 4, the satraps, they can find no dirt. There's no corruption. There's no negligence in, in Daniel. So they, they come up with this scheme. They figure, well, we're, we're going to get him, but we've got to go at his God. We've got to go at his religious sphere. We've got to go at his relationship with God. And so they concoct this plan, Daniel 6, verse 6 onwards. And so what these satraps do is they go to Darius and they stroke his ego they appeal to his foolish wisdom in order to remove Daniel from office. Notice verse 9, that Darius unwittingly accepts the proposal. I mean, for goodness sake, who wouldn't want to be prayed to? Who wouldn't want to be prayed to as a god, especially if you're Darius, and over this whole kingdom that you, that you rule over? Daniel is betrayed by his contemporaries, into the hands of a wicked, foolish ruler. Darius walks straight into the trap. And after the, uh, the satraps have betrayed Daniel, Darius realizes that he's being caught in his own folly. His own ego has betrayed him. He's about to kill an innocent man and he knows it. But the satraps, they've played Darius beautifully. They've stroked his ego and they've appealed to the law of the Medes and the Persians. I came across a rather humorous story by a, a, a little snippet, as it were, about a man called Sir Robert Watson Watt. Anybody know that name? Sir Robert Watson Watt. He was a British pioneer that, that basically invented the radar in World War II, which helped defeat the Nazis. And because of his invention, he was awarded £140,000, which was the highest award for any wartime invention. Wow. Well, a little while later, he was driving his car in Canada, and he was caught speeding in a radar trap. And as a result, this is what he wrote about himself. Pity, Sir Robert Watson Watt. Strange target of his radar plot. And thus with others, I could mention a victim of his own invention. That is exactly what happened to King Darius. He is a victim of his own invention. 
Daniel is portrayed by his contemporaries into the hands of this foolish king. He is trapped in his own folly. And eventually, because he's trapped by his own stupidity and ego and folly and foolishness, he hands Daniel over to be killed. John 1 verse 10 says, He, Jesus, was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own betrayed him. Do you see the link? We continue in Matthew 26, 64, where Jesus speaks to the Pharisees, and and he quotes Daniel chapter 7. He says, you have said so, Jesus replied, but I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Now notice as you look at that, what is Jesus saying to the Pharisees? You will be where? Under me. You will bow to me. You will worship me. I will have complete authority over you. And just as the satraps hated the thought of being under Daniel, so the contemporaries of Jesus, the Pharisees, they hated the thought of being under the authority of Jesus Christ. In John 19, we come to Pilate. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I'm bringing him out to you, talking of Jesus, to let you know that I find no basis of a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and the other officials saw him, they, they shouted, Crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, you take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. Watch how they play him. The Jewish leaders insisted, we have a law. And according to that law, he must die because he he claims to be the son of God. Now watch the play. From then on, Pilate tried to set Jesus free, but the Jewish leaders kept on shouting, If you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. And what does Pilate then eventually do? Finally, Pilate handed him over to be crucified. And the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Before the glory to the throne... There comes the betrayal. Jesus, the sinless Son of God, Son of Man, is betrayed at the hands of his contemporaries, handed over to a foolish ruler like Pilate who is caught in his own folly, who hands Jesus over to death. Before the glory comes the betrayal and the silence. I asked you earlier what was one of the most striking things for you about Daniel. Here's one of the most striking things. Did you notice that Daniel was silent throughout the whole ordeal? We're told about the despicable plot of the satraps. 
We're told about Darius and he's got the sleepless night going on because he's betrayed an innocent man. We're told that Daniel is thrown to the hungry lions. But all that we're told that Daniel does or says in verse 10 when he hears the edict, what does he go and do? He goes and talks to his God. He goes and prays to his God. And the only time that we hear anything out of Daniel is in verse 21. I'll show you that later. Where, where he speaks to Darius after he's been rescued. As Daniel is handed over to death, there's no what? There's no protests from Daniel. There's no wiggling out of the thing. There's no calling of a political rally. There's no petitions at the injustice. He will not bow to the edict, but he will bow to the suffering that it brings. The prophet Isaiah, when speaking of the greater Daniel, said that the suffering servant would be silent before his accusers. He was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he did not open his mouth. He was silent. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In Luke 23, we read that uh, when Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased. For a long time, he'd wanted to see Jesus. From what he'd heard about him, he hoped to see Jesus perform some sort of sign. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. He was silent. When he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, Jesus gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimony that they are bringing against you? Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Before the glory to the throne comes the betrayal and the silence and the suffering. If you've got your Bible open and you look at Daniel 6, verse 16 and 17, it's quite a horrific scene as Daniel is thrown to the lions. It's reminiscent of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego going into the fire. There was absolutely no way at this point that Daniel knew what God was going to do. Daniel knew that God was able to save him, right? I mean, he knew of Daniel 3. He knew his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, had been thrown into the fire and had been rescued. But Daniel did not assume that God was going to work exactly in the same way. He doesn't always work in the same way in every situation. You see, Daniel would have known about the prophets like Isaiah that were sawn in two by the wicked king Manasseh. Daniel also would have known about Jeremiah the prophet who was stoned by his own people in a place called Tephanes in Egypt. And Daniel is now thrown to the lions which would have been a most gruesome death. And we know that Daniel was spared. But the greater Daniel, the sinless Son of God, Son of Man, he wasn't spared from the lions, was he? 
Have a look at this in Psalm 22. The psalmist writes, Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan circle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open with their mouths wide against me. You see, when Jesus was dying on the cross, he actually quoted Psalm 22. You might remember, he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And therefore, Jesus may well have quoted the rest of Psalm 22 on the cross. So Jesus, figuratively speaking, unlike Daniel, was torn limb from limb by the lions in what was a ghastly and a gruesome death. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of the soldiers around him. They stripped him and they put a scarlet robe on him. They twisted a crown of thorns. They set on his head. They put a staff on his right hand. They knelt down in front of him and they mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spit on him. They took the staff, struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to nail him to a tree. Why was Daniel spared and not Jesus? Why was Daniel spared from the lion's mouth? But Jesus wasn't spared from the lion. The devil himself, who is called a roaring lion. Because only through the suffering of Christ can you and I be brought to God. In the words of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Before the glory, before the ascension to the throne, there comes the betrayal, there comes the silence, there comes the suffering, and then comes the vindication. Daniel did not die at the, at, at the mouth of the lions, but he did experience a spectacular supernatural rescue, didn't he? Look at the text, and Daniel says in verse 21, uh, Darius has had the sleepless night. He comes to the pit the next morning rather sheepishly, looks over and says, Daniel, are you still alive? Daniel answered him, may the king live forever. My God sent his angel and he shut the mouth of the lions. They have not heard me because I was found innocent in his sight, nor have I ever done any wrong before you, your majesty. The rescue of Daniel was a vindication of his innocence and faith, taking us to the greatest vindication of the innocence of the Son of God when the Father raised Jesus from the dead. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Look at it in Romans 1 verse 4. And through the spirit of holiness was appointed the Son of God in power. How? By his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Darius was entirely gobsmacked 
that the God of Daniel could rescue him from the lion's mouth. How much more gobsmacked should we be to know that the father raised his son from the dead? Before the glory comes the betrayal, the silence, the suffering, then the vindication, and then the exaltation. After Daniel is vindicated, Darius takes all the betrayers of Daniel and notice he takes their whole family and he throws them to the hungry lions. And in verse 26, 27, we've got Darius exalting the God of Daniel, proclaiming, who is like this God? Who could save anybody from the lion's mouth? And notice what Darius does next. He exalts Daniel to the highest place. Do you see it? So Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus, the king. Daniel is exalted to the highest place. And we're sort of back to where we started, aren't we? Therefore God exalted him to the highest place. And gave him the name that is above every name. Now let me show it to you. In Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. After he had provided purifications for sins, suffering, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Exaltation and glory. Before the glory comes the betrayal, the silence, the suffering then the vindication, and then the exaltation. And you're sitting here, I hope, and you're saying, so what does that mean for us? What does that mean for us? It means exactly the same thing. Before the glory will come the betrayals, the silence, the suffering, then the vindication, then the exaltation. Let me explain. Take a look at this. Revelation 3.21. Jesus says to the one who is victorious, I'll give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. We are only victorious in Christ. It is by faith in his betrayals, his silence, his suffering, his vindication, his exaltation that we are victorious. It is by faith in Christ that we are victorious over, over death and sin and hell and judgment. By faith in Christ, his victory is ours. His vindication will be ours. His exaltation will be ours. We win in him. We're victorious in him. We're vindicated in him. We're, exalt we're exalted in him. The glory is coming. The glory is coming when we will sit on the throne of God with Christ because of Christ. But before our glory, there will come betrayals. And we can be silent 
before our accusers. And we can embrace the suffering that is coming, even death. But then our vindication will come when Jesus Christ raises us from the dead and seats us with himself in glorious exaltation. As it was for Jesus, it will be for his people. Here's how Jesus put it in Matthew 16, 24. He said, whoever wants to be my, di- to be my disciple must what? Deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Brothers and sisters, before the glory, there will be a cross. Brothers and sisters, before the glory, there will be many crosses which you need to bear. Before the glory, there will be sufferings of many kinds. Before the glory, there is the cross. Sometimes when we suffer as Daniel did, when we suffer for Christ as Daniel did, sometimes there might be supernatural earthly uh, rescues of some sort. But even if God does not spare us from the lion's mouths, he will vindicate us when he raises us from the dead and seats us in glory with himself. Into Hebrews chapter 11 where Daniel is mentioned. Now listen to this. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David, Samuel, and the prophets, and who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions. You see, there it is, isn't it? Sometimes when you stand for Christ, sometimes when you stand, there will be supernatural earthly rescues of some sort. Sometimes there will. Same passage Three verses later, sometimes they won't. Some face jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. Before the glory, there comes the suffering. Like Jesus, for his followers. So let me ask you some closing questions. Is he worthy? Is the one that was torn at the cross, if he was flesh was figuratively torn apart by the lions? Is he worthy? Is he worthy of our suffering for him? Is the glory coming? Do you think the glory will be worth waiting for? And that's why, and I'll close with these words, that's why the author in Hebrews says this. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, 
He endured the cross. Brother and sister, for the joy set before you, you can endure the cross. For the joy set before you, you can endure the crosses that have been laid out for you. And so the writer says, you need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what is promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will come and not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed. But to those who have faith and are saved. This is the Christian life. The glory is coming. It's coming. It'll be beyond anything that you can ever imagine. But before that time, there are betrayals. And we can be silent before them. We can endure the suffering. Because the vindication will come even as Jesus raises us from the dead and will seat us in glory with himself. My brother and sister, you need to persevere. You need to persevere. Will you do that? Let's pray. Lord, we are, we are victorious in you. We are victorious because of all that you've done. But before we enter our glory with you, you have given us a cross. You have given us crosses to bear. So that we will know you more and more. And prepare us for the glory that you have promised us. May Daniel 6, Lord Jesus, cause us to persevere in the face of anything that this world throws at us. We ask it for your glory. Amen.